All right, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 2. I admit that I'm going to take you on a little bit of a ride this morning, and the reason being, um, to get the point of, of what I would like to share with you this morning, we're going to have to take some samples out of a couple of three different chapters in order to do that. Um, and so we will move around a little bit. There's a lot of things that kind of happen in between, and I'll try to summarize that. Um, there's um, some beheadings, um, some instances where people's hands and feet are cut off. There's just some things that happen. We're going to kind of stick to the high points on all this. And, um, but I want to share with you, uh, or at least let you see here, that David is established as king. And that is done through God's work. It is not through David. Um, it is definitely what God does. And so we're going to start in 2 Samuel chapter 2, go through verse 11, but there will be other areas that we, um, that we move through. And so it has seemed like a really long time as we have went through the story of Saul's life. But Saul has died. If you'll remember that, he died on a battlefield. The Philistines were approaching. Um, we, we read one passage where he fell on his own sword. Another passage, somebody finished him off after he fell on his sword. But either way, Saul's dead. And his sons are dead. The, 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 the legitimate uh, or the logical successors to his throne are all dead. There are other sons. Um, and we'll cover that as we get to it. Um, but it, it seemed like this was a very long time. But David, when he finds out that Saul's dead, then he begins to mourn Saul. He goes through this time where he rips his clothes. He has everybody else rip their clothes. He writes that lament. That was the last thing we studied in this series. And now it's time for David to begin to, to take some action. Um, there, again, there, are, there is someone that takes the throne of Israel for a time. We'll cover that. Uh, when we get there, there's going to be war, there's going to be intrigue, um, there's going to be some murders that are not necessarily justified, um, and, and so then there's going to be some situations that happen. And, and the thing that I want to point out, without getting too deep into what all happens, what I want to point out is that David stays blameless in it all. And there's only one way that he can do that, um, because he allows God to establish him. So we're going to be taking an overview look of how God establishes David as king over all Israel. And I can't emphasize enough the fact that David walked step by step, according to what God wants him to do, or this would have got messy really fast. And, and so without reading everything that, that, we're, that, that um, happens in, between chapter 2 and chapter 5, you, uh, the summaries I give you, you will see that this could have gotten really messy. So the sermon in sentence is this. If we are going to be established by God, we must seek Him out, submit to Him, and be satisfied in Him. And you may be sitting here right now saying, why do I want to be established by God and what does that even mean? Well, do you want to be where God wants you to be? Do you want to have all the things that God wants you to have? Do you want to be in the place that God envisioned for you? Then you want to be established by God. And to do that, that means that we're going to have to seek out His plan, submit to His plan, and then be satisfied by His plan. Uh, and ultimately, not just His plan, but Him. We have to be looking for God Himself. So this is going to jump around, um, so we're going to start in chapter 2, and I'm going to read through verse 11. Yes, there are names, and yes, I'll mess them up, um, but we'll get there. Um, I got David. So after this, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up into the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which city shall I go up? 
And he said to him, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, um, those two ladies, Abigail, I can say her name, um, verse 3, And David brought up his men uh, who were with him, every one with his household. And they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. Now at this point, the armies of David are roughly 600 men strong. And so that would have been his men. That would have been their wives or women, children. Uh, there would have always been some camp followers, people that were like healers, people that were cooks, people that, that tended to the animals when they weren't using them, all those kinds of folks. So you're probably talking well over a thousand people that just moved in there in Hebron. So it would have been a pretty big event when it happened. Uh, carrying on. When they told David, it was the men of uh, Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. But Abner, the son of Ner, commander of Saul's army, took Ish-bosheth, the son of Saul, and brought him over to Mahanim and made him king over Gilead and the Asherites and Jezreel and Ephraim and Benjamin and all Israel. And Ish-bosheth, Saul's son, was 40 years old when he began to reign over Israel. And And he reigned two years. But the house of Judah followed David. And the time that David was king over Hebron, over the house of Judah, was seven years and six months. Because I will probably forget to point it out later, I'll point out now, there's some weird time things here. So David doesn't become king in Hebron until Saul is dead. Um, Saul's son Ish, he becomes king over Israel, but only reigns two years. But it is seven and a half years before David becomes king over all Israel. There's some weird time things here. And even if you read every word of this, you don't get a real clear picture of When was this son of Saul actually king and what was going on the other five and a half years? Some of it maybe before um, this son of Saul was made a king and some of it may have happened after. So there's some timing issues there. But what we do note that is spelled out really clearly for us, seven and a half years David is king over just Hebron, just over Judah, so just that one tribe. Um, And then he is made king over all the tribes of Israel uh, and reigns for 33 more years. So that's what we get. Um, now I am moving. There's a lot that happens, and I'll try to fill in the gaps um, as I preach this, but I'm moving to um, chapter 3, verse 26 through 27. So I'll give you a minute to get there. Um, so we found out that there's a king over Israel, 11 tribes. Uh, David only has the one tribe of Judah. Well, in that process, these two, these two kingdoms kind of meet, Um, And as you read the description in Scripture, it's almost a, it's almost more like a contest than it is a battle at first. Um, But the the, the men, probably the champions of Israel and the champions of uh, Judah, they basically meet and they have a contest. So the the commander of Saul's armies, Abner, is, is watching this with Joab, the commander of uh, David's armies, and, and these men, it looks like at first it's just 12 on each side. 
they enter into kind of a combat. Well, that combat goes like completely towards the side of David. Um, the way it's described, the men grab the other men by the head and stab their swords into their sides. Um, so it was like almost immediate and, 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 and pretty violent. So when this happens, then the men of Israel begin to flee. They begin to leave. Now, the thing that's key to understanding the verse in chapter 3 that I'm going to read you is that when the men of Israel are running away, Joab and his brothers are chasing them. So they're chasing the people of Israel at this point, and they're actually, as they overtake them, they kill them and they take their spoils. Well, Abner, who is the, the commander of the Israelite armies at that particular time, he's being chased by one of Joab's brothers. This brother was known to be fast. He was known to be you know, very, very quick and a very good warrior. But um, Abner turns around to him and says, hey, you better turn to the right or left and take one of these boys. You don't want to mess with me. And, and, and Joab's brother is like, yeah, I want, I, want to, I want to mess with you. And so uh, it says that Abner turned around and stuck his spear into his belly, the butt of his spear into his belly, so that it came out his back. Um, so sometimes speed isn't all you need. And so anyway, so he's there basically impaled right there. And so when Joab and all the other men of, of David get there, that's where they stop. That, that's where they, they stop fighting. So what that means is that Abner has killed Joab's brother. Okay, and so the, the, over the course of that whole scene, your Bible will probably label it the battle um, of, of um, the battle of Gibeon. So over that whole scene, what you have is 360 or so men of Israel killed, um, 19 men of, of Judah are killed, uh, and, and it's kind of known as a battle. And then that kind of sets the tone for the way that the hostilities between David's men and the men of Israel would go. And so, but that also starts a blood feud between Joab and Abner, and, and Joab never lets go of this. So eventually, um, Abner and the king that he made, this Ish guy that's a son of Saul, they have a falling out. Um, apparently, Abner um, took up with one of the concubines of Saul, and, and that actually is a pretty big offense, because that was a king's concubine, and now you've taken up with her. And so uh, Abner gets all bent out of shape. He says, you're going to give me trouble over, over this woman? I'm leaving, and I'm going to David's camp, and I'm bringing everybody with me. And so he does that. He goes to David. They send little letters and messages back and forth until Abner comes into David's camp. And Abner's saying, I'm going to direct all the elders of Israel to follow you. And then Abner leaves. Well, Joab wasn't there at the time. Joab comes in after leading a raid. He finds out that Abner has been there, and, and he says to David, why'd you let this man leave? You know he's just a spy. He's not trustworthy. And so Joab leaves David's presence outside of David's knowledge, and he sends word to go capture Abner and bring him back. When he brings him back, he kills him. That's what these two verses here are. When Joab came out, so this is uh, chapter 3, verse 26-27. When Joab came out from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, and they brought him back uh, from the cistern of Sirah, but David did not know about it. And when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the midst of the gate, to speak with him privately, and there he struck him in the stomach so that he died for the blood of Ashel, his brother. So Joab avenged his brother, and so that, that's what happens. Now, David doesn't know this until after the fact. That's when he knows. Now, he does not punish Joab. He curses his family. Um, it's a pretty bad curse. I won't get into the detail. You can read that curse if you want to. That one's a tough one. Um, but uh, he does mourn Abner, leads them into national mourning over Abner, 
Um, and and it's, it's, a, it's a scene where David is making it clear he had nothing to do with the death of Abner. Now, if Abner was a spy, this definitely cleared him, uh, cleared uh, the way a little bit for David to become king. If Abner wasn't a spy, then, then all this does is show that David was acting uprightly and would not strike out against people that had been his enemy. Either way, God protected David from the blame and from the guilt of this. And so we see that David is being faithful to follow God. So the next thing that we read, the next thing that happens actually, um, would be in chapter 4. So when Ish, the, 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 the son of Saul that Abner made king, um, when he finds out that, that Abner is dead, it says that, that his stomach grew weak. Like he got, he got afraid. He lost all his courage. And so the men would have known this. The people following him would have known this. And you have to remember in the ancient days, you didn't just follow a king because he was a good politician. He had to be a warrior. He had to be a strong man, a leader of men. And so when, when Ish is not that anymore, people begin to conspire against him. So two of his captains, their brothers, they decide to kill him. So they sneak into his house during the heat of the day when he's taking a nap, and they act like they're going to get wheat, and they kill him. Um, they stab him in the stomach. Eventually they cut his head off and bring it to David. So I'm going to read you that, the, the little part of that. Uh, it says, Now the sons of Rimen, the Berothite, uh, Reshab and... Banna, not banana, uh, set out, and, uh, uh, and about the heat of the day, they came to the house of Ish uh, as he was taking his noonday rest. And they came into the midst of the house as if to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Um, then uh, Reshab and Banna, his brother, escaped. Now again, that story goes on to say that they, they cut off his head. They take his head to David and they think that they're going to show David the head of the king and that's going to be, they're going to get a reward for that. Well, you can probably guess, based on how David handled the last messenger that told him about the death of Saul and his sons, these guys are also executed for their crime. Because it's regicide. Killing a king, even though um, this Ish guy wasn't anointed by Samuel or by God in any way, it was still killing a king, and David treated them as such, and so they were executed um, in a very specific way. You can read about that, too, if you would like. So we get to chapter 5, and that is now, the, 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 there is no more king claiming the throne of Israel. David is the king of Judah, and so that's where chapter 5 picks up. And we'll read chapter 5, verse 1 through 12, and that'll be the, the last of the reading. It says, And then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came uh, to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron, before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking David cannot come in here. So let me just pause there. We're going to keep going. 
Um, so the Jebusites think that they have such a strong fortress in Jerusalem. So you do have to realize that the, the part of Jerusalem that they're on would actually have been Temple Mount. So it was a raised area. They had a stronghold. They had a fortress. And they said, we could defend this thing with blind and lame people. There's no way you could take it over. Okay, so they said that they had just, you know, an impregnable fortress. And David was like, okay, but I have the Lord. And so, verse 7, Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And David said uh, on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites, uh, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. David didn't hate handicapped folks. But he hated that insult, that insult against him that, um, that, that, that even the blind and the lame could hold him out of Jerusalem. He hated that insult. And so that's, what we, um, that, that's where some of these words come in in verse 8. Therefore it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the milieu inward. And David became greater and greater for the Lord of hosts was with him. And Hiram, the king of Tyre, sent messengers to David and cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel and that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. It's not in my notes, so I won't comment any other time. You really know you've made it when some other king builds your palace for you um, and, and supplies all the lumber and the, and the workers. Like that's something pretty, pretty special there. Um, so let's try to get into this, and um, I promise it'll probably have taken me longer to read the scripture than it will to kind of preach the sermon part of this. So first of all, the first thing we see is that David sought God's plan. He was looking specifically for what God wanted him to do. So Saul and his sons have been killed during the battle against the Philistines. Um, David has this time of mourning. He has this time where he calls the whole nation to mourn, but... Once he knows that Saul is dead, he seeks the will, for, uh, the will of the Lord every step of his way to the throne. Every step of his way. Do you want me to go to Judah? Yes. What city? Hebron. He goes step by step through what God wants him to do, and then he takes those steps and no other steps. And so that's, that's what's really impressive. So if, if David had an army of 1,000 men, let me just kind of help you understand. If he had an army of, of 600 men, maybe could have mustered a few more if, if Judah was going to fully join to his side. And Israel's armies had just been devastated by the Philistines. Do you think that he could have taken all of Israel in that moment, in that time? Most likely he could have by force. He could have taken what he wanted, what he believed God had promised him by power at that time. That's really not much of a doubt, but that's not what he does. He does exactly what God tells him to do step by step through all of this. And God organizes all of this. I'll forget to say this if I don't say it now. Watch how God, and, and we've already read it, so you see how God navigates David through all of these things. We see how God establishes David and sets him up for glory and splendor and power and all of those things. God knew about Bathsheba. We don't know about Bathsheba yet. We don't meet Bathsheba until chapter 11, so it's on down the road. God knew that David would make mistakes. That didn't keep God from blessing him. Because David was seeking God. David was following God. David would make mistakes. David would be restored. And David would continue to reign. What we recognize is that God will deal with us as we are. And he will take us where he wants us to be. What he's looking for is not a perfect person, but a submissive person. So 
David is seeking God's plan step by step, everything. So God makes him king over the house of Judah. In that moment, um, those people begin to recognize it. This is only part of God's plan, but it is confirmation um, that God is, is working with David and, and, and David is walking in his steps. Um, and, and David is actually introduced to some men that paid an honor to Saul. So Saul had been buried uh, by, by some, some men here, um, and, and, and these men um, were showing, uh, the Jabesh Gilead, these men, they were showing respect to Saul. Now, that could have been presented as a bad thing. These people respected your enemy. These people respected the man that chased you around the wilderness. But no, David sees it as, as an honor. He offers a blessing to the Lord, or from the Lord to them, but also offers to bless them himself and to do good to him. Um, so what David is doing at this point, these people wouldn't have necessarily been his subjects, but he is wisely adding supporters to his cause without running ahead of the plan of God. So he acts wisely to draw supporters to him without running ahead of the plan of God. He just shows kindness. He shows compassion. He shows respect and honor for these men, and they begin to um, support him. So that's where we get to the thing about Abner. So Abner was the most powerful man in Saul's army, um, and, and we know that he's, he's a great warrior. Like, there's no doubt about that. Um, so he makes a son of Saul into a king. Um, and so because the son of Saul still lives, and this is something we kind of knew might happen. If there was a successor, there would be a dispute. And so this son of Saul is made king, uh, and there is war. There is always going to be war when there are two kings. You only need one king. You got two kings. There's always going to be war. And what I want to point out, remember Israel. Israel asked for a king like the other nations, and they got Saul. They didn't ask for David. They didn't ask for what David was, and they're going to see a different kind of king as it goes through. So during this battle, the, the Battle of Gibeon, that kind of starts the hostilities between um, Israel and uh, uh, the, the, the armies of David. But the armies of David win like every single time. It is every single time. And in all of this, the beautiful thing is David is not seen as the aggressor. He's not seen as the man that's starting the fight or the man that's pursuing the fight. This is not David's bloodlust. This is just what's happening. And so what we see is that David is being patient. He is following the will of the Lord, but not going any further. So if we want to be established by God, we're going to have to seek God's plan um, for every step of our lives and then patiently wait. It is so hard not to run ahead, especially when you've got a general idea of what's going to happen. It's so hard, but we have to be patient. So the next thing, David submits to God's plan. So as we look at this, David had some opportunities here. He could have pushed ahead. He could have done some other things, but he doesn't do that. So um, David is patient and reigns in Hebron until the time appointed by God for him to rule all the other tribes. Um, so we're told that David reigns for a total of seven and a half years in Hebron before he becomes um, king over Israel. Uh, sometime during this long war is when Abner switches sides. Right? And so I kind of told you what that was about. It was, it was over a dispute between Abner and the king that he had made. He switches sides, um, but this blood feud, this blood feud is, is continuing to happen. Now, would Abner be an enemy of David? At least until he switched sides, yes, he would have been the problem. So there's the king, but then there's the king's champion, and Admir, Ad, Ad, Adner was that. And so this blood feud is going on. And, and Joab, he actually, as soon as he gets a chance, he murders uh, Abner. Now, this could have been seen as an act of hostility by David. 
but David goes through great lengths. So he, um, he orders, he, he tears his clothes, shows grief, he orders his men and everybody to do the same thing. He orders the whole nation to mourn a man that had been their enemy. And they do. They, they mourn him. He is, he is buried with honor with his fathers. Everything that David can do to show that this wasn't him. This wasn't his work. This wasn't what he did. David does all of that to try to make sure um, that, that everybody knows that he had nothing to do with that. And so David comes out of that blameless. Now he does, again, put a curse on Joab and his family. And it's bad, but that's what it is. So then another event happens, and this event even more clearly benefits David because these two brothers go and they kill the son of Saul that's the king at that particular time. This seems to obviously benefit David, but even in that moment, what David does is brings justice um, because he kills the two brothers and David waits on the people of Israel to come to him. He doesn't go to Israel and say, hey, I heard you got a vacancy for king. You know, I'm, I'm in the market. You want to see my resume? Here, I've got five references. No, that's not what he does. No, he waits for them to come to him. So David, in all of this, is submitting to God's timing and God's pace. Now, that's tough, but that's what David does. So these waters are muddy. We're talking murder. We're talking plots. We're talking treason. We're talking regicide. David could have looked a lot different going through all of this. David could have looked like an aggressor. David could have looked like um, he didn't have the honor that he was supposed to have. David could have looked a lot of ways. But because he was willing to wait on God, he does look blameless. He does look guiltless. And so he submits to God. If you think that from point A to point B in God's plan, there won't be trouble and opportunities for failure, you're, you're badly mistaken. There will be times where opportunities are there, but they're not from God. Every open door is not a door that God opened. Stay true to God. Submit to whatever it is He's telling us to do, what He's showing us to do, because there are so many options out there that are dangerous. We need to be careful about that. So finally, we get to, uh, although others around David act rashly, the king waits on the Lord to make his way. And so that's exactly what David does. He submits to God's timing. Uh, even, even when things occur that's out of his control, he doesn't get involved in it. So let's look at our last point here. David is satisfied with God's plan. What does David want? He wants what God wants for him. He does not want what he wants for himself. He wants what God wants for him. So in time, the people recognized that David was their true king who had been anointed by God. They recognized that. So the people of Israel come to him. And when they come to him, we are your bone and your flesh. They recognize that they are one with him. Uh, most of the people likely had wanted to follow David for quite some time before. But there just wasn't an opportunity. There were other things in their way. It wasn't popular. They couldn't take that step of faith. Um, but, you know, the thing is, they recognized the military efforts that David had went through. He said, you're the one that leads us out. You're the one that brings us in. Even when we were under Saul, you were the one leading us out and bringing us in. They recognized the spiritual authority that David has. He says, they say that God has made you a shepherd over Israel. They recognize the military, the spiritual. They recognize that David is their king because God has anointed him to be their king. So the covenant that they make with David is a lot like a marriage covenant, but it is very powerful. The bone and flesh, you recognize that at Adam and Garden of Eden. At last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. They recognize that as the most sacred and powerful covenant 
That's the kind of covenant they enter into with David. And David makes this covenant, makes this promise with them, and he becomes their king. Now, we've looked at a lot of events of David, from David and Goliath to all the different uh, being chased by Saul and all the different things we've seen. He's ruled in Hebron for seven and a half years. He's 37 years old. That's not that old to have accomplished and been through all the things that David's been through when he becomes king over all of Israel. But his first act is to go to Jerusalem. Now, if I wanted to take a lot of time, I could have a little bit of fun with the Jebusites and the whole blind and lame thing, but, but just think about it. David has faced Goliath. He has faced the Philistines. He's been outnumbered. He's been chased around by kings. He has went through all of these, these things in his life. He has not ever had an easy fight. And the Jebusites say that we can stop you with blind and lame people. David was insulted. I, I, I think that's fair in that moment, to be insulted. Like, he took that personal. And so anyway, that's his first act, or at least it reads as if it's the first act in, in David's um, reign over all of Israel, is to take Jerusalem. It is the place that the temple would be. It is the place that would be the capital. It is the holy city, the city of David. It is where God wanted them to be. And so it is what he does. So he takes the city that would be his capital and his home. And so after he has his capital city, uh, kings, other kings begin to recognize his authority. Now this would have been a, a, a common occurrence. When there is a power shift, that is when other countries will recognize the sovereignty or the power of a nation. That's just, that's just part of it. You know, um, we have seen countries be made, uh, and when countries are made, other countries recognize their sovereignty and recognize their independence and things like that. Um, some countries withhold. Some countries don't, don't do it when they should. But, but countries typically, that's, that's part of it. But what, um, what uh, the, the king of Tyree does is a little extra where he sends the cedars and he sends the carpenters and the stonemasons and all of this to actually build the palace for David. That was, well, it was, it was, it was a, a display of respect. It was admiration. It was appreciation of who David was and what David had accomplished. So this is when David knows that the Lord, it's been the Lord who has guided him and provided for him through his entire journey. That's when he says, and it says that David knew that God had established him. That's when David recognized that for sure. Like God has, has done this whole thing. David recognizes at that point that it wasn't his talent as a military leader. It wasn't his spiritual disciplines. It wasn't his political savvy. It wasn't any of those things. In fact, if you were to just tell the whole story of David from the time we meet him to the time he becomes king, and, and, and people would have think it was made up. There's just so much that happens. It's so out there. Only God could have done this. And that's where David is. He says, wow, God has truly established me. I've got another king building my palace for me. God has truly established me. And so what we have to see from this... Um, one famous preacher said, you're not David. And that's true, we're not David. But what we are are followers of God, much like Jesus, or mu much like David. And what we have to realize is that if we want to be where God wants us to be, we have to be willing to let him get us there. So David, throughout this whole process, seems to have been satisfied with wherever God had him in that moment. When he was in a cave, hiding 
fearing for his life, he was satisfied with God. When he was out on the battlefield fighting Philistines, he was satisfied with God. When he was ruling over Hebron, when he was supposed to be ruling over all of Israel, he was satisfied with what God had. And, and, and when he is finally king over all of Israel, he is still satisfied with God. And, and, and just let me say that God has a lot in store for all of us. Wouldn't you believe that this morning, that God has a lot, he has a plan? But it isn't going to all come at once. You couldn't handle it all at once. I couldn't handle it all at once. None of us could handle it all at once. God has a lot for us, and it's going to take time for him to unroll that plan and to give that to us and, and to, to bring that about. But in the meantime, we have to seek his will. You're not going to get there by accident. You have to intentionally follow God. We don't stumble into God. We follow him, right? We also have to be submissive to God's way of doing things. It is, so there's this old saying, it's my way or the highway. Well, for God, it's his way or the highway to destruction. There, there is only two paths, what God wants and then destruction. That's what we have to recognize. So God will direct our path, but we have to submit to him. And then finally, we have to be satisfied with where we are at that moment. Do you want more? Probably. Do, do, do you seek more? Sure, but, but be satisfied with what God has for you in that moment. Enjoy that moment and be ready when he's moving you to the next moment because that's what David had to do. He had to go through those steps. So if we're going to be established by God, we must be willing to seek him. We must be willing to submit to him and we must be satisfied in him because we cannot run off on our own. We run off on our own. That's where we make our mistakes. We are people. The Bible says that the heart of man is deceitful above all things. The one thing that we have demonstrated from the beginning of human history that we can do is mess things up. We can. We can sin. We can walk the wrong path. We can murder our brother. We can uh, cause a global flood. We can do all kinds of things. None of them good. But we can depend on God and amazing things happen. And so I just want to encourage you with that. If you want to be where God wants you to be, go through his process. Go through what he wants of you to go through, and he will bring you to a wonderful place. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather together. I thank you for this story and the life of David. We looked at a lot of things, but in the midst of it, you were making him king. For us, it was just a little afternoon conversation. But for David, it was seven years. It was war. It was murders. It was very tough decisions. It was living by faith. It was wondering and doubting and questioning. But it was also seeking, submitting, and being satisfied in you. And I pray that you let us take that away from this. Let us take that, that we will listen to you. That we will be like David, where we know that there is big things ahead, but in the moment, we're just looking for that next step. Give us that next step. Father, let us do the things that you would have us to do without, without struggling against you, without striving for more than you're ready for us to have. Let us be faithful to you in everything that we say and do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.